Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Menahem Brody. Now, before we jump into this week's show, I want to give you a little recap of the week that was. want to give you some insights into what is new and noteworthy in uh, my world. But before we go there, I want to give you just a quick apology. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I am definitely fighting something off. I was feeling this last week when I did uh, my little bio intro piece. That's why I was a little bit shorter than usual. And, you know, at first I thought it had to do with the fact that a couple weeks ago, one of my good friends from college, his brother passed away. And so I thought maybe I was just feeling the after effects of that. And that kind of manifested into, man, I'm just kind of sluggish, didn't know what was going on. And lo and behold, I am fighting, uh, not very successfully, but my body is attempting to fight something off. So if the intro last week was a little less energetic than usual, my apologies. I am doing my best to fight through it now. And even though I don't sound the best, I definitely am feeling much better. So with that being said, what is new and noteworthy? Well, obviously it is the holiday season. It's in full swing, loving it right now. Um, This is always one of my favorite times of year. I've always loved Christmas and I think I went through this phase in my late 20s, maybe even my early 30s where it was a little bit less exciting. But then as soon as you reinstitute kids back into the mix, it is infinitely more fun and more exciting once again. So kids are super excited. Like every day, they're creating presents, as they call them. I think they're basically just wadding up pieces of wrapping paper and then wrapping it (laughs) and calling those presents to us. So our tree is filled with all kinds of random presents from our children. I don't know if any of which are actually presents, but it's the thought that counts, right? And so I'm excited for that just a few short days away. I'm really excited, even though this will have passed when you're listening to this, I've got a half-day meeting with my guy, Pat Rigsby. He is going to be my number one coach for next year, him and Bill. I know I mentioned this in the uh, 2020 podcast a couple weeks ago. He and Bill are two guys that I obviously deeply respect. I've used in some form or fashion as mentors in the past. I'm just making it a little bit more formal with Pat going into 2020. And I'm just really excited because I feel like, again, I'm doing a lot of stuff And I'm not sure I'm always focusing on the most important tasks. And I know for a fact that I haven't done a a great job of delegating and surrounding myself with people that help complement my skill set. So just really excited to have four hours of of focus time with him to really dive into both RTS and IFAST, figure out, okay, what's going well? What do we need to improve upon? And what do I need to do to help level up both of those businesses going forward? So definitely excited about that. And I'll definitely report back as I make some moves there. I'm thinking about doing an entire podcast just on my 2020 goals, my processes, how I'm kind of laying things out. It'll be one part accountability for me. And number two, it may provide some insights for you. So if you're interested in hearing about that, definitely drop me an email, mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com. Love to hear from you. Also looking forward to the weekend. Definitely, definitely looking forward to Star Wars 9. All I hope and all I pray for at this point in time is that it's just a good movie. Uh, As we've been going back through all of them, I'm reminded, very nostalgic going through 4, 5, and 6 because I watched those just repeatedly as a kid that (laughs) didn't even have cable television until I was about... 15, 16 years old. So I watched those movies a lot because they were constantly getting rebroadcast or we had like a VHS recording of them. So watched those so many times 
And, you know, now they've kind of got to bring all this together in episode nine. So just hoping and praying that it's a good movie. We've already got our tickets booked. So the kids are excited. We're going to go hit the pizza joint that's right next door, walk over to the theater, and hopefully it's an awesome movie. And then Sunday, we actually have the iFast Christmas party. So we've done random things in the past where some years we just go and have dinner. Last year, we actually went axe throwing and then went to dinner. So that was a lot of fun. And I just love being active. I'm really like sitting around and just kind of conversing. Plus, it's hard when you've got like 15 to 20 people at a table. So we're going to actually go to Top Golf this year. Very excited about that. Love crushing golf balls even though about one out of every five actually goes where I want it. It's just fun to go and hit balls and, you know, just enjoy some time with our team. And, you know, we're very, very blessed at at IFAST right now. And we've had great people over the years, but I just really love our team right now. I love where we're at and I love what we're growing into. You know, I've alluded to it on this show a couple of times, but we're young. We're a different staff than we were even one year ago. We've had a complete turnover when you think about it since about last August. And that's fine. I think that's part of business, whether you like it or not, you know, that's, that is part of the game. You have to constantly evolve and you have to grow. And so struggle, yes, but in a positive way. And I think I've grown as a leader and I think I know our team has grown and evolved as a result. So excited to have some time with them for the uh, Xmas party. And then what I wanted to wrap with today was talking a little bit about the iFast podcast because Bill and I actually recorded our seventh podcast. I know I kind of loosely mention it on here, but we recorded our seventh one today. And I would say if you haven't listened to it yet, this is the one you'll want to listen to for sure because we talk for about 35 minutes on the topic of Con Ed and we start with how Bill and I got started. That alone, I think, is insightful, and if nothing else, a little bit entertaining. And we cover a lot of topics. We cover you know, the seminar side of things. We cover how your continuing education should evolve. We talk about how you know, we both have grown into or out of the mentee portion of the equation and into a more mentorship or a teaching-based role. So I think it's definitely our best one as far as the content goes and the, the dialogue goes. But I think it's really instructive because I know it's something that I get asked a lot. Sometimes it's just on social media, whether it's Twitter, or Instagram, what should I be learning? What should I be working on? Uh, I get it a lot from my mentees and people that want to grow and evolve and, and do better things in the industry. So if you have not listened to the iFast podcast again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But I think it's very valuable and something you could definitely learn a lot from. So with that being said, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome new show with my guy, Manah. Hey friend, Mike Robertson here. And before we jump into this week's episode, I want to talk to you about something real quick. If you're listening to this show, you realize the power of coaches. Whether you're a trainer or coach yourself, or maybe an athlete who has worked with coaches in the past, you know just how hard it is to accomplish truly amazing feats when you're doing everything on your own. And I'm no different. In fact, I've come to the realization that I'm just not where I want to be in certain areas of my life. And I've hired multiple coaches in 2020 to help me get to where I want to go. So you're probably thinking, what the heck does this have to do with me? Great question. I'm looking to expand my coaching services in 2020. And if you're looking to take your health, physique, or performance to the next level, I'd love to work with you. I've got two primary training options if you'd be interested in working together. Number one is my private online coaching platform. 
In this program, you'll work with me directly to carve out a training program that is specific to your unique needs and goals. Every month, you'll get an updated workout to make sure the program is challenging, and we'll communicate back and forth to make sure your technique is on point and that you're making progress each and every month. A second option would be my annual training group. In this program, we go through four three-month phases of training, building the engine, leaning season, athletic domination, and stronger. But the cool part of this program is that it's more than just a training program. Every month, you'll not only get a new workout to follow, but we'll also have monthly challenges where we develop habits in regards to nutrition, recovery, and mindset to help ensure that next year is your best year ever. So if you're interested in online coaching, you can learn more at robertsontrainingsystems.com forward slash coaching. Or if you're interested in the annual training group, you can learn more at robertsontrainingsystems.com forward slash annual. And if you have any questions whatsoever, feel free, email me directly at mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Regardless of which option you might choose, I'd love the chance to work with you next year and help make 2020 your best year ever. With well over 15 years of coaching experience and a sports medicine background spanning from emergency medicine and physical therapy settings to the NCAA Division I strength and conditioning setting, Menahem Brody brings with him an incredibly unique and diverse skill set to the cycling world. Coaching since 2000, Menahem has been working with athletes in a number of settings and a broad variety of sports. From basketball and cycling to CrossFit and triathlon, he has helped numerous athletes to attain their goals and beyond. In this show, Menahem and I talk about the wide world of cycling, starting with all the various disciplines that have been created over the years. From there, we dive into more specifics, including why posture and breathing are so important, the areas he has to bulletproof to keep his cyclists healthy, how he fits strength and power work into an already jam-packed schedule, and the major differences in how he trains his male versus female athletes. Even if you're not into cycling, I think there are a ton of great takeaways from this show. But enough for me. Let's do this. Nahim, man, thank you so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I come from Pittsburgh, born and raised, 28 years. So black and gold blood. Yeah. Well, it's red, but... <laughs> <laughs> I grew up there playing a number of sports, started off with baseball. And like every American kid, you know, I think I was like Andy Van Slyke. He was our center fielder. And I actually have a famous moment in the Little League history in, in Squirrel Hill okay. where I thought I was throwing the ball like Andy Van Slyke from the wall to home <laughs> to throw the kid out. And instead, it went 50 feet up and two feet forward. I did it not once, but twice. And then awesome. Dana Greenfield pushed me out of the way, took it and nailed it home. So <laughs> so baseball, I moved on to basketball. I played deck hockey and roller hockey in high school a little bit and don't have the hips for it. Right. <laughs> so that ended. And then in college, I actually tried to walk onto the pit basketball team twice and didn't make it. But one of the coaches liked me and said, hey, you know what? We could use you as a manager. And that kind of got me really into coaching. Coach high school, middle school basketball, and now I'm coaching cycling for the last 15 years or so. That's awesome, man. And what led you to the world of physical preparation? Obviously, you were an athlete that whole time, but was there like a moment when you're like, oh, I think I want to kind of like merge these two worlds? Yeah. So there's a lot to it, actually. I started physical preparation because I got bullied in school. Like I got suspended for three days for for beating a kid up, for breaking into my locker, cutting my backpack. Like I walked out to go to the bathroom and he was in the act. 
And I just always, that was my point of just being fed up. So I actually went home. If you remember ESPN2 used to run like Get Fit with Gilad, like in the mornings, you know, he's (laughs) on the beach. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I started out. And it's funny, I realized last year that I've done a a complete 360 where I went from Pittsburgh and watching Get Fit with Gilad in Tel Aviv to now living in Tel Aviv and working in the sport world here. So it's like uh, pretty cool. That's crazy. Um, and then through high school, I was never the most physically gifted. I was, you know, kind of the, the guy who hustled, showed up in shape. Like I yep. was never the last to finish for a sprint. I was always, you know, top five, top six, yep. never the best, but I worked really hard and I just started tinkering, finding what works best for me. And then people started coming to me for advice and well, what didn't work for me or work for me didn't work for them. Right. So I'm like, well, huh, well, let's figure that out. And that's, that's pretty much been the world that went from there to physical therapy setting, working as a strength conditioning coach, then basketball, then cycling and triathlon. And and that's pretty much the full circle so far. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. And you said that you've, you've worked in competitive cycling for like 15 years now. So talk to me about that. Like, how did you get started there? And then just give me ideas to kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis now. So I, I kind of got started in cycling. I, I actually couldn't find a good job out of college. I did a exercise physiology degree with a specialization in coaching at Pitt when they were ACSM certified program. And I decided to do the NSCA. So uh, Tim Belts, the strength and conditioning coach at Pitt, longtime strength and conditioning coach there, kind of was like, you know, you don't seem like an ACSM kind of guy. Like you really like working with athletes. So why don't you sit for the NSCA and then, you know, come and intern for me for a little bit and we'll make it happen. And that path for me, was really convoluted to get to cycling. It was pretty much, I was working 80, 90 hours a week. I was a video assistant coordinator for Pitt as a manager. I was also working as a barista, working the floor at the the gym. Like I was hustling hard. Nice. You know, like, so I put in the hours and I just kind of realized, you know, the basketball coaching is a passion of mine, but I didn't want to keep that lifestyle forever. I wanted to have uh, friends. I wanted to have family time. So I just started looking around. What else could I do? And I was, I had just gone into cycling because basketball had become my work. I kind of fizzled out as far as passion and playing, you know, I'd be there at the Pete recording I don't know, Big East games at midnight. So I'd go and shoot around while the other, you know, Cincinnati was playing on the West Coast. I'd go and get a workout for an hour and a half and go upstairs. And then on the weekends, I was allowed to go free. And I was in the bike shop actually looking to, to tune up my bike. And the owner of the shop just started me as, asking me some questions about training. You know, Glenn was like, well, what about X, Y, and Z? And he said, you know, you should really get your USA cycling certification and open a, a studio here. You could be our local coach, our in-house coach. Hmm. And I was like, you know what? That's actually a pretty cool idea. Yeah, (laughs) hell, let's do it. And, you know, here we are 15 years later, and it's been a complete turnaround for how cyclists and endurance athletes think about strength training. I had well-known coaches jab their index finger on my chest and and tell me I'm ruining cyclists and triathletes' careers because they're going to get big and bulky. And my response was like, dude, 1970s NBA, you're going to get big and bulky. 1960s NFL, you're going to get big and bulky. Like it's the same progression we've seen in every sport. So that's, it's been interesting, but now, you know, I have people, I just had someone from Russia, a professional email me the other day and ask me like, how do I do this? You know, I want to, I want to get rid of this pain. So it's been pretty cool. That's awesome, man. So that's what I want to focus on with you. Obviously here today is talking about cycling and learning more, because I think when it comes to the sport of cycling, it's obvious it doesn't get as much press as other sports, maybe baseball, basketball, football, but I would love to get a bit of a primer from you so I understand better and so my listeners understand a little bit better. So I'm assuming that when most people hear cycling, 
the event that comes immediately to mind is the Tour de France, right? Mm -hmm. But I know in our discussion before the show, you mentioned there's actually a lot of cycling disciplines. So would you take a few minutes and just explain to us the various disciplines and maybe what makes each of them unique? Absolutely. So I started just like you and like all the listeners here that aren't familiar with cycling. The first thing that came to mind was Tour de France. You have these three weeks, like epic, truly epic yeah. uh, competitions where they're just grueling and the, the mental is just as hard as the physical. And over the first two years of being in cycling, I realized, well, there's mountain bike. Not just is a regular mountain bike, if you're crazy enough or you want that adrenaline rush, you can do these downhill races where you're literally going down a ski slope, but not the regular one. No, no, no. We're going to take you through the trees, through the rocks. <laughs> you're going like 40 miles an hour. The goal is to not touch your brakes. They've got these massive springs, essentially, shocks they're called. There's also another one, which is mountain bike endurance, which would be something what you and I would do. You know, if I were to pop into Indiana, I'd be like, hey, you know what? Let's go for a bike ride. You're like, well, the roads here aren't that great, but there's a great trail I run on. That would be regular mountain biking or enduro. Okay. Um, on top of that, there's something called cyclocross. So we'll talk about this a little bit later. Think about taking a cyclist in that fixed position and be like, you know what, dude? That's too easy for you. What we're going to do is we're going to put obstacles where you have to jump off your bike, put your bike on your shoulder, run over these things, <laughs> and then jump back on the bike and and go through sand and mud. And that's kind of at an, <laughs> at an extreme. If we took mountain biking and cyclocross and they had a baby, there's a new sport within cycling, which is called gravel. That's where you have these road-style bikes where they don't have the shocks, but they have these big tires. So it's kind of like an ATV on two wheels. And then beyond that, we have track cycling. And track cycling is really freaking exciting. Like you're in an indoor track. There's banked corners so you can get really fast. And this specific sport of cycling has actually done a lot of strength training. They've been in Olympic lifts for many years, and they're putting out monsters. Like there's a, actually a ad where Robert Forsterman is actually powering a toaster and toasting toast with his legs. Wow. And the dude's like sick. He looks like a power lifter, you know, yeah. except he can he can move, yeah. which is pretty cool. So those are pretty much the basics. Within track, there's different events. So you, then you get the physiological side of things as far as the energy systems. But there's a, a ton. And then there's the average, you know, rider. When most people say I'm a bike racer, you look at them up and down and you're like, well, you're wearing cargo shorts. That's probably a mountain biker. <laughs> if you're like, dude, are you wearing your wife's clothes or are you like part of the ballet? That's probably road cyclist. <laughs> I love it, man. And like you said, it seems like it really spans the spectrum because, I mean, it sounds like you got everything from like your short burst, like more high intensity type stuff to – Again, when you think Tour de France, you're thinking just days and days and days of repeated exposures, long duration. So that's crazy. I didn't know there were quite that many different disciplines within the world of cycling. One thing that I think I would love to start with, and I'm assuming this is skewed based on the discipline that they compete in, but you've already mentioned you like the strength and conditioning side. You like digging into that. So what are some of the first things that you're looking to include in a strength and conditioning program when you start working with a new athlete? Number one is posture. Number two is breathing or, or positions as, as we'd say, you know, like yeah. those are the two things. And that's, you know, as far as I'm concerned and I've, I've come a long way in my career, it's been almost a quarter century in strength and conditioning from actually learning and helping other people. And, you know, that's what it comes down to is posture and breathing. I mean, it really is. Once you get somebody in the right positions, the joints in the right space that it needs to, the, the muscles are going to act properly. So essentially one of the, the challenges with getting into strength training for mostly road cyclists and triathletes is their mentality is, 
you know, well, I'm riding a bike, so if I'm going to do strength training, I should probably do planks and side planks, and then I'm going to need a lot of leg extension, leg presses, hamstring curls, and, you know, I'll do like a little bit of bench press, but I don't want my arms to get too big. So you're fighting against the, you know, they're driving themselves into the ground with the repetitive and overuse injuries and getting out of those good positions, but also breathing. I just had somebody... Um, Yesterday, he finished my my certification course, and he's like, dude, I never realized how much breathing affected my abilities on the bike. You've completely turned around how I look at strength and conditioning and how I want to try and, and build myself up. It's completely different over what I thought it was and what I was doing before. And just that kind of opening the eyes to people to the fact that there's so much more to strength training. The rest periods is another one. I get a lot of emails like, what do you mean there's metabolic and neuromuscular? It's strength training. Like, right. dude, an EMOM is metabolic. So the reason <laughs> you're not getting better on the bike is because you're nailing yourself, you know, to the wall because you're harping the same energy systems versus rest three to five minutes and pick up heavy crap right. uh, with good technique, you know? So that leads me to a follow-up. Does that mean you're probably getting a lot of blowback, right? Especially if somebody is maybe unfamiliar with you, like they've heard that you've had success or whatever, and then you write them a program and all of a sudden they're lifting like heavy things and asked to rest three to five minutes. Like, are you dealing with like blowback there? And how do you, how do you address that to help them understand like, look, this is valuable. This is an important piece of your training. Oh yeah. Just a little blowback. Just, <laughs> just a little bit. Right. <laughs> I would say that would be number one is picking up heavy things. And number two is, uh, the misconception that on race week and the month leading up to your race, you shouldn't lift heavy things. Mm. I mean, you know, and I, I kind of get through to them on the second one by saying, okay, so by your logic, then I should, or you should train on your bike from January until April. And then you shouldn't touch your bike until July because that's your peak race. And they're like, what would you say to that? And they're like, well, that's really stupid. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> you're taking out, you're losing the, the, the adaptations you're getting. Right. So that's an easier one. The first one, there's a complete misconception and misunderstanding. It's the same things that we've gone through with baseball, basketball, NFL, as far as lifting weights in that they, the general public doesn't understand the adaptations they need to actually get stronger. Right. Um, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, later. But like with women who are on the oral contraceptive pill, they can put on muscle size, but it's not functional muscle. So that's literally dead weight. Whereas mm -hmm. if they're on their natural cycle, you know, then we're actually going to see functional muscle added. So when it comes to cyclists, it's getting them to understand that we're looking for neuromuscular responses. We want your motor unit to be able to fire stronger and with less effort to allow you to be able to put more force out. So one of the things I've kind of been moving to the last couple of years, and I think you are as well, if I'm not mistaken, is velocity-based training with like a push band. For sure. Where they can actually power, oh, I put power on the bike. Oh, now I get it. Right. You know, I, I sent somebody, I can't remember his name, Duffin, Chris Duffin. Yeah. Did the what was it? The 30 days or 20 days of 500 plus, whatever yes. the crazy thing was. Yeah. And he had that, that, the meter. I wasn't a big fan of what he did. Like the reason he did it. Yeah. But anyhow, right. I sent that to a couple of my cyclists and I was like, look, he's measuring his power output. And then we opened the conversation of, but the bar is moving slow. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's not how fast the bar is moving. It's your intent. Right. And that opened up, you know, now they start to understand like, ah, 
okay, but it's it's still an uphill battle. Like we, st- I still get people. The email is, hey, I, I heard in your course that you're saying that throughout the year that our our strength training sets and reps should change, and you're you're condoning you know sets of three to five or two to five right before my big race. I heard it's supposed to be, or you're wrong. It's supposed to be lightweights and high reps, like. Okay. <laughs> Have you tried the other way? Do you understand the adaptations you're getting? Right. So it's still uphill. I know it's kind of a little bit of a circle answer, but it all kind of ties together in that we're, we're trying to get people to understand strength training is strength training and the adaptations are the adaptations. It's our job as coaches to make it so that you're able to apply it to your specific sport and keep you resilient and on the field, so to speak, doing what you need to do. Absolutely. And speaking of staying on the field, cycling is obviously a sport that leans on one posture for extended periods of time. As such, I'm sure there are specific areas that you probably need to bulletproof, so to speak. So if that's the case, what areas are those and how do you go about doing that? Uh, It depends. Number one complaint for cyclists right now, it used to be knees. It's now back and hips. I had my own experience with that. I was out on a training ride back in 2011 on my own. And of course, of course, it happens at the furthest point from home on like a Mm -hmm. 50 mile ride, right? (laughs) So I get a sharp stabbing pain that felt like someone also had a flamethrower on my left hip. And I Mm. physically could not turn the pedals. Like it was literally... The amount of pain, if I turn the pedal, I'm going to pass out (laughs) on an open road. So I managed to make it home and started doing some research. And this has actually led me down to follow and find Guru, if you want to call him that, Stu McGill. Mm -hmm. who's like a grandfather, you know, (laughs) just in his demeanor. But uh, hips, a lot of his hips, a lot of people don't realize, you know, number one, bike fitting, people don't think about. So they just jump on a bike and think, you know, oh, I want to be as aerodynamic as possible. So it's called slamming the stem where they put the handlebars as low as it will possibly go. And then you just see their back and their hips doing all types of weird things. So that's number one. And and a lot of people used to be stretching the psoas would resolve that. And then I got into breathing from there because I realized, well, stretching isn't going to do it. You got to strengthen the glutes. The glutes help pull that femoral head back in, allow the acetabulum to move. But back and, and hips would be number one. Number two, neck and shoulders, just from being in that locked position. And a lot of that comes from people just, the strategies we see to hold themselves up on the bike is incredible. Like I, it's so fascinating to see how the human body works. It just figures it out. Like what's the path of least resistance that we can maintain for a long period of time? And then, oh, pec minor, we don't really need you because we're not reaching overhead for anything except for the coffee mug first thing in the morning. Right. So those would be the the two and the, the bulletproofing you know, it's so individual. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I've seen across all the, the great coaches is that you got to take the athlete and see what they're capable of. Yeah. Like, what are their hips doing? Is it an actual bony endpoint? Like, do they have that Celtic hip where it's a really deep socket? Or do they have a little bit of, you know, hip dysplasia where they're, you know, take them, bend them and like Gumby, you know, and then the strategies will depend on how much muscle tone they're carrying, the position on the bike. But it all comes back to postures and breathing and activation. So uh, I just actually wrapped up the eight-week program I have, Better Back and Hip program. And I keep a small number. This time it was just three. You know, it's not a a moneymaker. It's more of a a quality of life improver for people at a, a price point for them. And, you know, the comments across the board are always, I never realized that there was so much more to core than planking, or I never realized I couldn't fire my glutes. Right. One of the the best stories I have about this, it was a uh, semi-professional amateur and he comes in and he's complaining of back pain. 
I'm like, okay, well, let's put you on your back and let's try uh, a hip bridge. It's all hamstring. I'm like, all right, well, let's turn you over. Let's try some crocodile breathing, let you kind of relax a little bit. Okay, now I want you to just fire your glutes. Can't do it. I'm like, okay, well, let's try touching the glutes and see if you can get it that way. Can't get it. And finally, I have frustration a little bit. I'm like, dude, what do you do if you have diarrhea? And he just pushes his hands and kisses his butt cheeks to put it together. And I'm like, <laughs> you do realize that if you're a cyclist, the glutes account for 38% of that pedal stroke. And you're telling me, even when you need the glutes to help you avoid a potentially socially embarrassing situation, right. you can't fire them. So those are the areas. And a lot of it's glute activation, getting people aware of good breathing patterns and get better posture. It really is that simple. Mm-hmm. But that that story about you know the diarrhea, and, oh, and yeah. it's a little bit out there. But it gets people's attention because then you kind of see the people in the in the audience, you know, they kind of shift in their seat. You, you know what they're doing. They're like, yes. I wonder if I can fire my glutes. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I'm just thinking too, like in such a repetitive sport like that, because I've obviously had Stu on the show a couple of times and he vowed me years ago and he's like, well, you have that Scottish Celtic hip because I'm Scottish Irish descent. I'm just thinking like, man, people like that probably have to be pretty hard. I, I don't want to say they're hard, but they've got to be more challenging to work with simply because they've got that deep hip socket, it probably isn't the most favorable position for them to be in. Do you have to like work around that a little bit to get them set up the right way? Yeah, it's it's really tough. And that's actually why I, I went down the road of becoming a bike fitter. So I, I did a Serata Institute, International Cycling Institute, which actually tells you or teaches you the nuts and bolts. They don't just tell you, here's how we do it and just fit people into box. It's like, well, depends. And it's really tough, man. Like I, 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 I learned very early. I was very fortunate to have a great powerlifting coach in high school. And and he, you know, he said, never put limitations on yourself and anybody else. Right. But there are some people that I try and strongly encourage them to get into mountain biking because it's less of a impediment to, to their health. Putting it nicely, it, it's a gentle prod saying, hey, you can still ride a bike, but the back pain you're having and the hip pain, it's not going to go away. If you really want to see what I'm feeling, number one, to confirm it, we need to have an x-ray. Right. And number two, you need to go see a physical therapist and a surgeon to look at it. And they're like, a surgeon? I'm like, no, no. They just, they know the area. They can tell you much more about it. And right. letting them, you know, it's an athlete-led realization of sorts. But I have a couple, two of my best athletes are of Scottish descent. Yeah. Uh, McHugh. Nemo and Samson McHugh, they were two of my first athletes. Samson's a hell of a competitor. And the way we worked around the back pain is we actually just did a lot of glute activation, really focused on the glute me, glute in complex in particular, a lot of external rotation and getting his internal obliques to actually hold. So it was, mm. we brought his handlebars up four millimeters, which was significant for him. We found a more comfortable position and he went through, but you know, it, it was it was still an impediment to him be, to being able to make that jump a little bit because yep. the aggressiveness of the fit. But it, it's tough. I mean, I, and I'm sure you've had athletes in, in coming through your and Bill's gym where they're you know just looking at them, you're like, dude, you are the wrong body type, or you don't have the structure to do well. But who yeah. the hell are we to say that? Absolutely. You know, like it's like let's give you some strategies and let you see what you see. Like let's yeah. see how you, how you go. Yeah, and that's always been my philosophy: is hey, man, this is something you want to do. Let's. Let's turn as many screws as we can and see what we can get out of your body, you know? Mm-hmm, so exactly. When it comes to, to cycling, there are obviously a lot of demands on the body. And perhaps most importantly is the actual training of the cycling itself. So with that being said, how do you find ways to sneak in strength and conditioning into an otherwise packed training schedule? Love the question. I mean, it's the same thing as how do we get professional players to actually train during the season, right? Yep. It's important. You, you make it happen. And 
you know, we talked about how the misunderstanding or, or myths that that proliferate in this sport still about, you know, lightweights, high reps and posture doesn't matter. I think a lot of it is getting people just saying to them, look, when you remove the training, you remove the stimulus. So let's decrease your ride time. And cycling and triathletes both have a mentality. I mean, we have a high rate of addictive personalities. People are coming from actual addictions, gambling, drinking, drugs, you name it. And that's not a knock against the sport. It's just that's one of the, the common themes for success in the sport is you have to have that a little bit of an obsessive personality to be able to go back and make yourself suffer again at a, a 10 out of 10. So when we look at it, getting them to understand if you give me 45 minutes, three days a week for strength training, I will make you better, faster, stronger, feel better off the bike and be able to go out and do it again harder, faster, stronger, but it, you got to give me at least two weeks. You know, I call it the Dan John rule. I used to do three weeks, heard one of his presentations. He's like two weeks. I was like, awesome. Borrowing that. Right. Um, cause it's, you know, two weeks are like, okay, two weeks out of 50, you know, if they argue, I'm like, it's two weeks, you got 50 other weeks to do whatever you want. But that's number one is, is three days a week, 45 minutes, depending on which we want. Like right now it's January. We're looking at people, December, January, we're looking at people who are in base in the Northern hemisphere, which means that they're going to be okay. Like giving up an hour, three days a week because you know, it's cold. (laughs) Nobody wants to ride outside when it's icy. Right. When it gets to the season, that's where the, the big fight is, is okay. You've got a lot of demands on your time, but look, dude, if you really want to crush it in July or August, when your key races, you've got to give me 15 minutes. We're going to do a breathing exercise. We're going to hit a heavy weight. We're going to do a double and then a, a, a five and you're out. You know, we're going to do dynamic warm up, breathing, A1, A2, B1, B2, done. Yep. And we can do, you know, two sets and that's it. And oftentimes it's a matter of getting people to actually try it yep. and ha- and really, you know, not give it the good old Harvard try. Like mm, it's right. actually like, dude, like your set of two was with 70% of what you use in the off season. That's not right. Like right. you should be around 90. And that's really, once they try it, they don't go back. I haven't had a single athlete come back to me except for they're like, man, my energy, I can't eat enough and I'm dropping off. Okay. We're going to do a five minute, we're going to do breathing. We're going to do one exercise. That's it. Maybe we'll do kettlebell swings, right? You know, just keeping those movement patterns that they need. But that's the number, that's the number three. You know, number one is getting them to understand posture and breathing is where it starts. Number two is heavyweights matter. Number three is you got to be consistent with it. And yeah, again, the personalities and you've had it, I'm, you know, you're smiling. So I know you've had a couple where you're like, dude, if you just please twice, 10 minutes, that's all I need. Right. It doesn't take a lot. And that's what people get caught up in season is they think your in season or your competitive season lift is identical to your off season lift. And it's just, that's not the case. Like you have a different set of demands on your body. You have other stressors you have to account for. It's like, look, man, we're just trying to do enough to maintain or hold on to the progress that we made so that you don't fall apart. And so that when we hit the next off season, we're starting, you know, from a higher point than we did the previous year. And you're absolutely right. It's hard to get people to buy into that. Sometimes some people are very easy and they're like, yeah, I'm I'm on board and I'm going to do this. But there are others that take a little bit more uh, cajoling, so to speak, to get them to do what you want. So how, how do you kind of get through? Do you, is it building that rapport with them? Like what are some strategies that you've used? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge part of it is, is you have to rely on your, your interpersonal connection. Like they don't want science sometimes, you know, like they don't want to be wowed with science. <laughs> like 
It's the fact that you've built a relationship with them generally starting in the off season. They've seen success, hopefully up to that point, whether it's in how they're playing, how their body feels, some mixture of multiple factors. But yeah, you have to kind of lean on that and just say, look, we've had the success before. This is where you're at now. Like, just trust me on this. And uh, it may be different than what you've done in the past, but hey, even if we can get two days a weekend for this short period of time, I guarantee it's going to make an impact. And like you said, I've never had somebody not do it. It's like once they're they're in and they're on board, they're going to do it and they're going to stick with it. But yeah, sometimes just that fear of doing something different can be overwhelming. Yeah. It, it's the fear of the unknown, right? Like Absolutely. if you look at the stock market, people will pay you more for the fear of loss Yes, and be like, dude, that business is on sale right now. Like, yeah, give it to me. I'll, I'll take it. Right. Right. <laughs> You're going to pay me insurance to buy something on sale? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so here's one thing that I want to make sure we talk about. What differences are there between programs for male and female athletes? And I mean, I know like when it comes to working with especially soccer, because that's where I have the most mix between genders, there's certain things that I have to take into account when I'm training females versus males. So I'm interested. Do you find the same do you find the same issues between males and females? And if so, what are they? Half the time, completely different. Really? So Yes. So here's how it works. And and there, this is really, there's a lot of pseudoscience out there and just mis, myths and misconceptions. Can't even say the word myths. <laughs> Whoever came up with that was mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so here's the thing is, is over the last eight years, I've really spent a lot of time diving into women's cycling. Personally, I think women's road cycling is way more entertaining and just a head game than the men's. Yeah. But number two is the the female athletes that I had at a young age as a young trainer didn't respond well. Like I had a, a female early on, she was actually, she won a competition at the Jewish Community Center in, in Pittsburgh and she was selected to work with me and she had a condition which uh, changed her hormonal status in the body. And as we know, like that's half the game, right? Absolutely. Well, I started diving in because I'm like, well, so-and-so is not responding to this. And I'm like, dude, what am I doing wrong? Because it's always, it's got to be simple solution, right? Right. So I started digging around. There really wasn't that much, but I started actually using Dr. Nagel's class of research and how do you read a research article? Like, how do you really read it? Not the conclusion and the introduction. What's the statistical breakdown? So there's a great book that was published in the 1970s called How to Lie with Statistics. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I had another friend, a client, Sarah Cusin, who is a, is a professor of statistics at WVU and Pitt. So she helped me kind of break down. Like, I, sh- I remember showing her one where I was like, so, so proud. I'm like, what do you think of this? She's like, they used a statistical novo and they should have used an ANO, but it's complete crap. It's like, oh, uh-huh. well, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so once I got into that, I started to realize, hey, dude, like all of these studies are men. Like all of the women are discredited because they're either not on the pill or it, they had anomalies hormonally. And now I've gotten to the point where there's a number of researchers. The one at the head right now is Dr. Stacy Sims. She actually has a book called Roar, R-O-A-R. If you're a coach working with any female, you have to pick it up. And they're working on a second one, which will come out. But pretty much women and men are the same half the time. Women have a menstrual cycle, believe it or not, it's not 28 days. It can be anywhere from 21 to 42. Those tend to be the averages. But in that hormonal, in that cycle, their hormonal ebbs and flows. So day one to let's say out of a 40-day cycle, which is actually more closer to average, day one to 20 roughly is called the follicular phase. We're exactly the same. 
Women don't have to eat immediately after they work out. They're the same as us, 18 hours. Brad Schoenfeld just came out with that, just blew everybody away. They can train the same. They can put the same intensities. They're able to lift heavy weights. They're able to move. They're able to put out power at the upper end without any big negative effects. They can do, you know, one day hard, two day hard, and then a rest day. But once we hit that follicular phase, so or the end of the follicular phase, when they get to the actual, they're actually ovulating, now we see progesterone and estrogen pump up. Well, that's a problem because now the women, the woman is now in a more catabolic state. So we're going to see the blood plasma volume drop between three and 5%. Uh, that seems not so big, right? But right. when we look at it from a performance standpoint, if you and I or anybody as, as a guy has a, a 2% drop, we're, our VO2 max power is going to drop anywhere from 5 to 8%. The average woman is between three and five. Like, think about that. The recovery is going to be a lot harder for them because the body's in that catabolic state. So they need to eat around 2.2 to 2.4 grams per kilo of body weight in protein. Like most endurance athletes aren't even close to that. Forget yeah, women. For sure. They need to eat within 20 minutes of finishing the, the their their session, whether it's a bike or a strength training. So there's a lot of stuff that's really coming out now that we're starting to understand. And this research, if you look back at it, 2014 is when it really started to take off. But there's also another consideration, which is when they're going through, if most of the women nowadays are told, if you want to be an athlete, you have to go on the pill, right? So there's a, a monophase and a triphase. And the thing is, is that when you take that pill, let's say it's the triphase or the monophase rather, every time you take the pill, you're spiking your estrogen and progesterone. So if you're taking that pill first thing in the morning and then you're going to your workout, you're essentially just killing yourself for your progress. Right. Because you're in a catabolic state. If you actually want to see progress, number one, the best thing is get off the pill. That's the number one thing. The IUDs are far better. The copper is even better than Merida. Merida is, after the first year, you still can have a cycle. It just creates an environment where it's very uh, difficult. I think the number is something like two out of a thousand get pregnant while on Merida and eight out of a thousand with the copper IUD. But why is this important? Because these spikes that you have in the hormones completely change the game for these females. And I have uh, one of my best success stories was a young rider named Esther. Over the course of two years with her grit and determination and our working together, we managed to figure out what her cycle was, put her training around it, and she managed to go from a true beginner, like total greenhorn, just riding a bike, to UCI professional racing in Europe in two and a half years. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of that also is is genetics. Like, let's, let's not for kill sure. ourselves. For right? sure. I'm a great coach. But a lot of what came with her, this happened, it happened to be perfect where she came just as I'm really putting the pieces together. But when you actually look at that and, we, and you look at the timing of the pill. So if you want to do a morning workout, great. Take your pill at night. By the way, if you actually want to have it work, you got to take it at the same time, literally like within 15 minutes every day because you're spiking the hormones and it's dropping off. But when it comes to the, the natural menstrual cycle, and as guys, we've got to get over it, build a bridge, get over it, and be comfortable or find somebody who's comfortable having this conversation with your female athletes. Because I don't know about you, Mike, but the amount of frustration from some of the women I've worked with who are just gen pop, looking to just look better, they want to build their glutes, they want to have better arms. The amount of frustration that they have when the trainer, including myself, when I say the trainer, I mean all me, all right, we're going to a three, one build. We're going to go three week build, one week off instead of like, Hey, you know what? 
let's uh, let's figure out where you are in your cycle. Like, how long does it usually last? Like, because a lot of women are like, oh my god, it's tw- day thirty-one, and it's supposed to be twenty-eight days. Maybe I'm pregnant, and then you just look at their trending and their training log. You're like, dude, your cycle is like between thirty-eight and forty days. Like, this is normal for you. You don't have to freak out every month. Right. Like, it's all right. Right. But there, there's so much more we can go in. Like I mentioned earlier with the, the oral contraceptive pill, there was a study in 2000 and um, I think it was actually this year, Delgard or Delgord, something like that, where they actually looked at the oral contraceptive pill and they found that the women who were taking the monocycle pill, so the monocycle just, you know, kind of plateaus your estrogen progesterone throughout for about three weeks. And then you have the sugar pill where it kind of drops off. Well, it's not a real period, number one. It's a withdrawal bleed. And actually, Dr. Sims just posted, I think on Instagram, a post about this. But aside from that, the more important side when we're looking at performance, when you're on the pill, you're not getting what's called functional and functional is a completely blown out of proportion term now, but you're not getting muscle you can actually use to perform, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting muscle gain, you're putting on weight, but you're not putting on actual strength. So when they compared that to the IUD, they actually found the IUD allowed the individual to have strength, functional strength gains as well as lean muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So what's the number one thing that women say that when they come in and you tell them to do heavy weights? Well, they just say, I don't want to like bulk up and get huge and yeah. So if you're on the pill and you're lifting heavy, guess what? I totally was scratching my head. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. You're on the pill. This is supposed to be easier. What the hell is going on? Right. And then, you know, once I read that research article, I'm like, well, that makes sense. Of course, everything's hormonal if you're not getting the recovery. So when it comes to the women, I try and dial it in. And this is still a, a big work in the progress because every woman is different. Her cycle changes if they travel through time zones. Like I – geez, I've, I'm still trying to figure that out. Like right. how long does it take? But the, the differences is massive. So we'll start off day one. So that that's the first day of the bleed. Number one, we have to mitigate for fatigue and overall lethargy. And that's something I think as coaches with technology nowadays, especially in cycling and triathlon, we've become such techno geeks. We forget like some of my athletes are like, yo, why do you have heart rate? And why are you asking me how I felt this morning? Like, dude, that's going to tell me way more about anything else. Right. You know, some of them would diatribe like, well, I woke up and my wife forgot my favorite coffee mug was dirty. Like, dude, that, I just want to know like how you're feeling overall. Right. <laughs> like, right. Energetic. But these types of things when it comes to training women is even more important. Like as guys, we can wake up, feel like crap, go crush a Red Bull or an XL and we're in the gym, we pump it out, you know, over the weekend, you sleep it off, make sure you're eating enough, good to go. Well, with women, if we try and push through that, and I had one of my my first highly competitive women cyclists, we kept running into her exercise-induced asthma wasn't just in the winter, we were having it in the summer. And it just got to the point where I'm like, you know what? Let's just look at your cycle. Like, let's let's see where you're at. And it happened every time within three or four days of where I estimated her ovulation was. So just as she got onto that luteal phase, and all we did, we pulled the intensity out. And all of a sudden, it was like magic. Right. And the same thing will happen, you know, same thing happened in CrossFit with the second place Israeli female that I work with. Sorry, third place. Damn, rope climb. And the thing is, when we train men and women – Half the time it's the same, the other half, we need to be very aware of 
Are they on any type of contraceptive? How long is their actual cycle? And dial back the intensity. So especially when they're getting more towards their period, the last seven to 10 days, if they're really feeling really poor, if they're feeling cloudy and they're like, they don't have a clear mind, like you come in, you're like, dude, what's going on with you? Are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I just, I, I can't remember stuff today. Foggy mind. All right. That's two checks. Number three, how have you been feeling? Well, I'm not really sleeping that well. I feel really tired all the time. Two things we got to check. Number one, are they eating enough? And number two, how close are you to having your cycle? You know, how close are you having your period? I'm going to say, oh, for about a week. Oh, okay. You know what? We're going to go back and we're going to work on lightweight technique, a little bit of balance stuff, and we're going to dial it back until your period comes. Right. And when you do that, the amount of results you see, it's it's astronomical. Like it, it was one of those things where I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, whatever. Let's try it. And then you're like, holy shit. Why wasn't I doing this before? <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if we're allowed no, to swear that's enough. okay. That's okay, man. <laughs> I love it. That was incredibly thorough. Thank you. So big question time, my guy. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Menahem Brody one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Listen to Ryan Cummings. Yeah. Ryan was uh, one of my early clients. He came to me. He's like, dude, you need to do a podcast. You need to start a YouTube channel. You need to blog. And I just had this imposter syndrome. I'm like, no, man, I don't really know what I'm talking about. This is back in 2007. Like, Think about when yeah, you and EC started your podcast and how much they've grown since then, right? Yeah. Cressy was blogging, what, in 2005, something like that? Like before yeah. people were like, there's internet? <laughs> yes, yes. That would be the one thing. You know, I don't have a lot of regrets in my in my life. Actually, I don't have any. That's rare to say. I've, I've worked through some, yeah. but the big one is not sharing with people earlier. I mean, my number one thing, I'm a, I'm a nerd. If you give me a choice between going to a party and staying home and watching or learning from a course, dude, I'm at home. I got my nose in a book. I, I broke my ankle back in August. I broke my fibula. So I've been on the sofa. I've read, I think, 37 or 38 books. I've put oh, wow. together a couple courses. Like I've done everything from that perspective. Like I've I've messed up royally, yeah. but I own it. So yeah. that'll be the one thing is like, dude, just share it. I if you're it. wrong, I my wife and I have this thing going of you were right. Like own your mistakes, recognize when you're wrong. Right. I love that, man. All right. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or as short as you'd like. All right. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach or clinician? As a coach, it would be the release or fi finally finishing after two and a half years, my certification course. That was by far like just putting it out there and clicking the the open button right. for my email list. And we'll do it again here in January. That was definitely a career hi highlight, like just putting it out there and now getting these messages like, holy cow, as a clinician, man, you've, I think you've had this more, many more times over than I have, but just... I can't describe it. You'll know what I'm talking about and, and the other coaches out there. You know the look when an athlete the athlete has when they come in and work with you and they they have an injury or something's going on and they've lost all hope. Like you're like their, their last stop. Yep. The look in the eye when they first realize like, holy cow, this is possible. That that every time, right. like I, by far. And, and everyone is different. But you see that meaning. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. But just that that realization that you've had a massive positive impact on someone's life. Like, who knows? Maybe they're not going to be a cyclist in five years, but you've just given them the joy to be able to go out and do what they do and realize, hey, as long as I stay away from X, I can still do this. Mm -hmm. I love it, man. Okay, number two, you already mentioned you're into Con Ed. So I'm interested. Like, what kinds of stuff are you into these days? What books, seminars, online courses – have you enjoyed or are you learning from right now? Uh, how much time do we have? 
There, there's a lot, actually. I mean, that that's one of the things with all the Con Ed. I've always, you know, money's an object when it comes to that. But right. there are certain ones I save up for. I think Joel Jameson's uh, Bioforce was probably the top I've taken all around. The updates he's done to that. A couple that I've taken recently that I really uh, enjoyed. You know, honestly, the complete coach certification, I like the progressions, getting into nice, Mike's head a little bit. Like, in all honesty, that was something I was very surprised, like seeing how you've progressed from some of your earlier videos and series that you put out. Lee Taft's Speed Insiders, that was uh, one, yeah. the um, yep. certified speed and agility. The Leomo is a technology that you look at the on-bike. That was one that was really cool. So you can actually see live biometric movements. Sorry, oh, wow. not biometric, biomechanical, which is really cool. As far as books and seminars right now, I actually just came back from one called The Rule One Investing with Phil Town. So, you know, our family's starting here and I'm starting to think like, man, I got to be smarter with my money. Like I spend on coffee. I don't spend on much else. (laughs) Coffee and education. Yeah. But that was really impactful. Like that look that I just talked about, that was the look on my face on Saturday afternoon. I was like, holy cow, I can actually do this and retire well. Right. And, you know, as far as books, it it depends. Like Stu McGill's, I, I, I get lost in his stuff you know i could i could spend a lazy day on the beach somewhere in his uh, ultimate back <laughs> health and fitness yeah it changes like i'm not a big fiction person my wife's like oh you got to read fiction you know it really gets your your energies flowing and i'm just right. like dragons potters people flying around on sticks like quidditch <laughs> all right that's sport. cool let's, yeah. let's read more about this how would i theoretically train harry potter to be a better quidditch player oh i know trust me when you think like a coach you always think like a coach it doesn't get turned off just because you're reading fiction So I love it, man. Okay, number three, if you could get one message across to every cyclist in the world, what would that be? Match your training to your needs. So women in particular, like that's a big focus of mine. Actually, one of the courses, Sarah Duvall's postpartum uh, corrective exercise specialist, another really good one. But women, train to your needs. Coaches, like especially cycling coaches, oh my goodness, Mike, have you had some of those basketball coaches where you're just like, dude, this was played out like before John Wooden got in the game? Mm, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So letting, you know, it's a three on one off. I don't know how many times I get that question. Like I'm doing a build and it's a, here's my three week build and one week off. Like I went through that also, but dude, there's so many other ways. Meet the athlete where they are. So for cyclists and coaches, I'd say, think about what your natural rhythms are. When do you feel strong? When do you feel weak? match it to your training. And anytime you're not sure if you should work out or not, start for 15 minutes and then go home if you don't feel it. There's nothing you're going to gain out of ramming your head through a wall to get that one more hour on the bike. Yeah. I love, especially that last one, you know, 15 minutes, that's always been my rule. And hell, I had a day like that the other day. I thought, man, I'm just not really feeling it, but I went through my warm up and did a few things. I was like, nope, it's not happening today. And I shut it down and, you know, felt immensely better for at least checking the box that I did something and flex the uh, workout habit muscle. But yeah, I agree wholeheartedly there. Okay. Number four, last but not least, what's next for Menahem Brody? What do you got coming, coming down the pipeline? What are you excited about? Anything? 2020 as a whole. Um, it's kind of been, you know, Ryan mentioned, said to me in 2007, like, dude, put your stuff out there. I'm almost done with my first book. Yes, it's the first. I have like three. This manuscript has been sitting here for five years. Yeah. <laughs> so we went through and updated it. That's number one. The online certification course is number two. We did a soft launch to the email list. Really well received. The beta testers. Uh, I don't know about your, how you do yours, but it's just, it's so much work. I, I never realized like two years, dude, like. Yeah literally hundreds of hours like yeah 
So just sharing, uh, I'm going to be presenting in my first big, uh, well, actually second big conference, which is the 2020 Science and Cycling in Nice, France, and uh, at the start of the Tour de France this year on strength training and doing a one-day workshop. Very cool. So sharing, like that's that's the big thing is sharing, doing more stuff like this, going from a consumer to someone to share. Like I've been listening to your podcast for probably three and a half, four years, and you know, yours is I, I love it, man. Like Thanks. all the different stuff that's coming on, just being able to go and turn the tables and actually share. And, and you learn so much more when you're doing this side of stuff, like being on this side of the microphone, yep. like just hearing the different people and getting asked the questions like, holy, holy shit, this is really cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. When yeah. else would you get a chance for that? Yeah, it's a big shift to go from consumption to creation. And that's something that Mark Fisher said, you know, many, many moons ago. I think it was on my podcast, but I just love that idea of, you know, at some point, it's, hey, it's totally okay to consume. I consume every day from people that I've self-selected and people that I think are, are knowledgeable and worthy of my time. But yeah, man, I think you, the longer you do this, the more compelled you feel to create versus just consume and give back and help to educate others, whether it's coaches, athletes, whoever your audience is. But man, I love that. So Menahem, you've been so great to talk to you today. I really appreciate your time. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Across the board on Instagram and YouTube, HV as in Vortex Training. And then on Facebook, it's Human Vortex Training, or you could just do facebook.com forward slash HVT412, Pittsburgh represent. <laughs> and uh, and just out and about. Like I, I always like when I go out and travel, I try and wear some type of logo. And I've had people come up to me in Starbucks and like, hey, you're that cycling guy on YouTube, right? I'm like, kind of i don't have that many people they're like i have a question about my training and they pull out their training log like dude all right here you go i love it i love it well i'll make sure i get all that in the show notes so uh everybody can find you and track you down and ask you questions about their cycling needs but again menahem thanks so much for coming on the show man this was really great today thanks for having me mike a true pleasure And that does it for this week's show with Menahem. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. This is one of those episodes where I'm not a subject matter expert in the world of cycling. So I enjoy taking on that curious questioning type role. I just love to learn more about different sports, the disciplines, and how different coaches go about making their athletes the best that they possibly can. So even if you're not into cycling, I hope that you took a thing or two away from the show. If you did, I would love it. If you could share this episode in any way, shape, or form, I would appreciate it. doesn't matter. Social media, email, whatever you can do to help spread the word would be greatly appreciated. As always, my friend, thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you listening in every week, and we will be back soon with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>